You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Boston Loose Baseball, Episode 73. We made a show field trip down 95 to Fredericksburg for Dylan Cruz's debut. We'll tell you all about the trip and Dylan Cruz's first couple games in the minors. Speaking of the minors, a lot of Nats getting love this week around minor league baseball. We'll discuss that. And the big Nats are rolling. They've won 11 of 16 at the major league level, and they're getting some decent pitching performances from young arms not named Gray or Gore. There's a lot to cover on Bustin' Loose Baseball episode 73, and it starts right now. Bust and Loose Baseball, hosted by Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer, gives you in-depth analytics and interviews on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Now, here's your host, Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer. is Boston Loose Baseball episode 73. Grant Paulson, Toby Altizer. Uh, let's start at the major league level, Toby, where the Nats have won 11 of 16. We're taping on Monday night. They got rained out, did not play the Phillies today, so they'll have a doubleheader tomorrow. But a sweep of the Cincinnati Reds who have dropped six in a row at the time of taping, and the Nats now are on pace for 70 wins. If they could pull off a 70-win season, in the middle of this rebuild where we were all bracing for the debacle of 100-plus losses this year, that would feel like a really big deal. Yeah, I mean, if this team can go for 70 wins, it doesn't make what I was saying last podcast sound all that crazy where maybe they're calling some of these guys up next season. You know, maybe they sign a guy or two in the offseason, and you could see this team approaching a 500 record or at least 75 to, you know, 78 wins or somewhere around there where you're getting closer to that 500 mark. So. I mean, this team has definitely improved, and I think this is the thing. You know, we can talk about the improvement for the guys as they've gone throughout the season. You know, I've talked about this a little bit when I've had the opportunity to host on 106.7, talking about, you know, has this season been successful? And you talk about the development of the young guys. Obviously, that is the main focus. But if you just look at the team as a whole, the fact that they're competitive every single night and the fact that they battle every single night, I think is a huge step in the right direction from what you saw last season where they weren't always competitive. You couldn't always feel good about watching them at night. It felt like a chore at times. Now, even if they're down late into a ball game and they haven't gotten anything going, you saw this in Cincinnati, they couldn't get anything going until the sixth inning. And all of a sudden they put it on and they win that game. So, you know, that's kind of what, I think you can take out of, you know, specifically this stretch, but really this season as a whole is these guys really battle. And that's a credit to Davey and this ball club for putting together a much better season this year than last. Yeah, it's well said. Uh, let's just dive into the last few games here specifically. We don't need to break them down one by one, but I do want to call out, you want to Don getting back to the major league level and throwing a really good game. I don't had six innings of three hit three Ernie ball with seven strikeouts. He was actually perfect in the first handful of innings of this game and he throws a quality start gives the ball to Machado and Weems a reoccurring theme here as you saw Finnegan hammer down the final inning of each of the last couple games I mean Machado Weems and Finnegan I believe pitched in all three games in the Red Series and Davey was kind of going back to the well with what is now is a bullpen of Machado who's back in the show and throwing harder and looks a lot better Weems, who's mostly been outstanding since getting called up from Rochester, and Finnegan, who's having one of the great stretches of his career right now. And we'll talk about all three of those guys in a minute. But I just wanted to point out that Adon had a really good outing, and then Jake Irvin, even though he didn't get out of fifth, kind of ran out of gas, had another super competitive start. This is a guy that I think a lot of people would have said, 
was ticketed for the bullpen a year or two ago. You know, was not a highly regarded pitching prospect in the system. He was certainly in the top 20 in MLB pipeline. Guy that I've been tracking in the minors the last couple of years, but despite his big size, the fact that he throws hard, you know, he, he is behind all of the, the names like Cavalli and Henry and Rutledge in this system. Certainly Bennett after he got drafted last year, but as a first responder at 26, who is ready at the upper levels, he's gotten an elongated crack at the rotation and he continues to look like a guy that, you know, if he could be a little more efficient, work a little deeper into games more often than not, you saw this in his four and a third, five hits, three earned runs against the Reds this week in a tough ballpark to pitch in where he struck out six. He has been competitive and, and given them legitimate chances to go out and to win. And on Sunday in his outing, again, it was Machado, Weems, and Finnegan, as I mentioned, but Robert Garcia, who they just claimed and sent to the big leagues as well, through two oh, good innings, hitless innings, one walk, two strikeouts. So the bullpen's really been a reoccurring theme of, of I would say, fortune here for them as they've won not only the three in a row, but 11 of 16. You and I were kind of preparing for just an epic meltdown in the bullpen for the rest of the season. Mm -hmm. And for a couple of days, we certainly got it for about a week or two. But it, it seems like, at least in the way of an A bullpen, Davey has figured something out. The problem is, and thank God for the rain delay, the turn into a postponement, I guess, today. But you're just not going to be able to continue to crack the whip on Finnegan. And it, you, you can't have these guys pitching, you know, four out of every seven games. It's just they're not going to be able to hold up. Yeah, I mean, the bullpen has been much better, and this team really just as a whole is playing much better. You're getting good starts out of Yoana Doan, which, I mean, you didn't expect that, especially a guy going perfect through five innings and then, you know, struggling a little bit in the sixth there. But a credit to the offense for giving him some early runs and letting him work and just kind of pound the strike zone and live in there. And then, like you said with Jake Irvin, anytime you can get a guy that's like that where – okay, he's going to be a spot starter. All right, he's probably going to go to the bullpen. And then all of a sudden, this guy looks like, okay, well, maybe he could stick in the rotation, even if he ends up back in the bullpen. You can still trust him to be a spot starter here and there because you've seen it now enough times at the major league level that you think, all right, this guy can give you a quality outing when you need him to. So, you know, those are the kind of things that during a rebuild are really nice to see. Some of the, the guys maybe surprising you just a little bit with their production at the big league level. So it's just nice to see all around that this team is contributing and helping each other win. You know, it's early in the season. We were talking about this where, you know, the three facets of the game, they couldn't get all three in the same game. You know, as the bullpen struggled or the starting pitching struggled or the hitting wouldn't show up right now, all of them seem to be clicking and it's a nice thing to watch. Yeah. In their Sunday win, by the way, CJ Abrams had four hits for the Nats in the leadoff spot. That was the first time in Nats history, as, as you've mentioned, and I saw you tweet about, that they went back-to-back -back on the first two pitches of a game, and Abrams and Thomas hitting home runs consecutively on pitches one and two. They combined to go six for nine in the game. Uh, Thomas was two for four, drove in three. Abrams was four for five, scored twice, and drove in a run. But I bring up C.J. Abrams, as we basically do on every podcast at this point. So you look back at this stretch now, going back to July 1st. So Think about wherever you were on July 4th celebrating the Independence Day holiday a little over a month ago. A few days before that is the start of this sample. So it's 30 games, rough draft here of, of a fifth of a season. It's actually not quite 20% of the year, probably 17 or so percent of the season. But let's just say a fifth of the year, hitting 322 since then with a 376 on base and a 504 slug. So that is creeping up on a 900 OPS in about a fifth of a year, while striking out only 14% of the time and walking about 7% of the time. Walks are up in that stretch substantially. Strikeouts are down. He's also got four homers, which would be a pace for over 20 home runs, probably like 21, 22 homers in a season, and 18 for 18 in steals during that time. He's obviously tied the Nats record with 24 consecutive stolen base attempts overall. But just over this fifth of a season, you no know, 18 steals, that's a a 90-plus steal pace over 162. Uh, is he able to play at this level for 162? Hair on fire? Probably not. But now all of a sudden you look, after a substantial amount of games here, a major chunk of a season where he's playing at a you know fringe MVP kind of level in the middle infield, you know maybe a, minus a little bit of power. And the 22-year-old shortstop, who was the eighth youngest player in the majors on opening day, 
all of a sudden has become one of the better shortstops in the National League. I, I posted a, a tweet uh, today, as a matter of fact, where I just put his NL ranking among you know various categories. Right now among NL shortstops, fifth in batting average, sixth in OPS, sixth in home runs, fifth in runs batted in, third in runs scored, fifth in hits total, first in stolen bases, sixth in on-base percentage, fourth in slug. Not too shabby, Toby, for not only a guy who's just a, a child still who barely got to play in the minors and is learning on the fly, but also not too bad for a guy who a lot of people were starting to write off about eight weeks ago. Yeah, I think it's really cool because now you're starting to see him kind of turn into the prospect that you expected him to be. Like, just taking a look back at the 2022 prospect rankings, he was the Padres' top prospect at the time in his scouting grades. A hit grade of a 60. I think you're seeing that now. Power of a 50. Again, I think you're seeing that. Run 80, arm 55, field 55. I think that sounds about right. I mean, that's kind of what you're seeing from C.J. Abrams now, and that's not what you were seeing earlier in the season, and it's Something we've talked about plenty on the pod. You've mentioned it a ton of times. This guy's so young. And so he's learning at the big league level. And sometimes, Grant, you know this from watching sports. It doesn't necessarily need to be baseball, but sometimes it just clicks. You know, you can't necessarily explain it. You can't necessarily point to one specific thing. But one day it's different than the next. And it just, everything slows down for you. And it seems like that started to happen for CJ. Like, especially on the base paths. I mean, this is a guy that... We were pleading with, please, can you start running some? And now he's just running every time and no one can catch him. And yeah. so it, he it's, wait, spectac it, and it's spectacular. And it's is Like, it, he's a different guy right now. Like, it, totally. I, I don't mean the production. I mean, you're right. You just said it. His aggressiveness, his mindset, um, his, his confidence. And you've seen it carry over to the field, mm -hmm. too. I mean, let's be honest. Like, I'd have to look. I can't think of any obvious bad errors he's made in a while, but I guarantee if you look at his defensive numbers since July, this is the best stretch on defense he's had too. Like it, he is a different guy right now. It, I hesitate to say that he's completely turned a corner because baseball is not linear like that. And, and good players have bad stretches that are in their thirties too. But like, I do think he's figured something out or the game has slowed down. It, it just looks like he feels comfortable now. Yeah, it's just one of those things, and that's what's going to be interesting to watch the rest of the season. Does he have a week where he struggles, and can he bounce back? Those sort of things. We'll see, but right now, the way he's going, I love the way that he's just going out there and making the most he can while he's on this hot stretch. Like you said, he gets on base. He's not waiting. He's just going, and he's like, you're not going to be able to catch me. I'm taking off, and you know, you see an aggressiveness where he's a young guy, but a guy's making his major league debut. He says, I bet you he throws me one here. Let me just turn on this first pitch and sends it way up the bleachers in right field. Like those are the sort of things that you see veterans do when they try to take advantage of young guys. This is a young guy that's realizing, all right, I'm starting to figure it out. Let me start taking advantage of these things. And I mean, I just think the sky is the limit with him as a shortstop. You're seeing what this guy was supposed to be, and he's doing it at the major league level. Now it's just about can you continue to do this, and when guys start to adjust to what you're doing, can you make that adjustment with them? But I think he's found something, like you said, and I think that we're starting to see an emergence of C.J. Abrams. How about the renaissance of Lane Thomas in Cincinnati after he had pretty tough July, right? His OPS in May was 930, and in June was 1014. And then over 26 games in July, it dipped to 632. Uh, for those of you guys that track the podcast pretty closely, you know that I've got a bet with one of our buddies, Ryan. And I believe it's 790 is the line of demarcation. This was pretty early in the year, maybe a month or two into the season. We made a bet. It was probably the second month of the year. And uh, I'm giving him 790 and above, and he wins. 789 or below, and I win. And Lane Thomas's OPS as the boys went to Cincinnati for the first time all year was right around 790. Like it was mm. right at that line. And, and Ryan actually sent me a text and he's like, Oh no. He's like Lane Thomas, look at his OPS. And I, I hope I lose the bet. I want the guy to go on a tear. And sure enough, as soon as he was right at that line of demarcation where I was about to start feeling like maybe I'll win the bet. Uh, he went seven for 13 with three home runs at great American ballpark. By the way, this guy, destroys the Reds. If you look not only this season, but I want to say over the last couple of years, obviously his background in the St. Louis organization, NL Central, I don't know if it's a comfort thing or what, but 
He just owns this team. And so he went seven for 13 with three bolts in this series, which is pretty crazy for Lane Thomas. Uh, he's back after what was a, a pretty rough July. And it looks like, you know, beefing those numbers back up to a point where if you thought he was falling off and maybe the best part of his season was over, uh, he's got something else to say about it. Yeah. I mean, if I were Lane Thomas, if I hit free agency, I think I'm calling the Reds and saying, what do you want to give me? Cause I want to come to great American ballpark and play my home games there. Cause he just tears it up. I mean, last season he had a three homer game at great American ballpark and then has a two homer game here. He has another home run in the series as well. So he apparently loves hitting at great American ballpark kills the reds. And it's, it's great to see because, you know, you saw him kind of slow down just a little bit. You saw him at times at Nats park over the last couple of weeks, he'd have some, you know, big at bats and he wouldn't be able to come through like he had earlier in the season, but hopefully going to great American ballpark can be something that gets him off the schneid a little bit. Yeah, totally. Uh, so the nationals after the sweep of the reds now have, the longest winning streak in baseball uh, in the National League, I guess I should say. The Rangers have won six in a row, and the Twins have won five in a row over in the American League. But if you look at the NL, the Nats with four straight wins, a six and four record, the hottest team now in the National League this week. Uh, they're the hottest team in the NL East with that six and four record over the last week and a half as well. You look at the standings, I mean, they have now basically caught up with the Cardinals. I mean, think about that. St. Louis has had such a bad year. But if you look at the expectations coming in for the Nats, a better record right now than the Rockies and the Cardinals. They're just a game behind in the win column, the Pirates, and a game behind in the win column, the Mets. Can you imagine, after all the joning and the talking Mets fans were doing about what a great year they were going to have, if the Mets, who prior to uh, getting their bats going against the Cubs, as we're taping this game on Monday night, had dropped six in a row and seven of 10. What if the Nationals finish with a better record than New York after the Mets sold off? I know that, you know, that and a couple bucks will get you a coffee, Toby, but damn, that would feel good for the Nats fans listening to this podcast. Well, and one byproduct of these new rules with the CBA and draft order, the Nationals can win as much as they want because they cannot draft any higher than 10, even if they have the worst record in baseball. So good point. go on and do it, man. Finish better than the Mets. Give us something that we can be thrilled about and rubbing their face because, I mean, you spent all this money. We were talking about it. $344 million grants. And the Nationals payroll is around $90 million. And there's a game, two game difference right now on the standings. And, I mean, the way both teams are playing, the Nationals might surpass them in the next week. It's just crazy to think that the Nationals are doing all of this, and essentially they're paying no one because Patrick Corbin's getting a big paycheck and Steven Strasburg is still getting a big paycheck, and those are the only two guys making right. $10 million or more. It's unbelievable. Uh, yeah, they are. They could catch the Pirates. They're game and a half back, and then they are. Um, let's see. Yeah, and one and a half back from the Mets as well. They have the same record as the Pirates. So but by the what you just said, just as a as an aside, I think this is important. I am always all for draft position, and all I care about is drafting as high as possible. So I would be imploring them to have sold and to bottom out and to tank if they could get the number one pick again. You know what happens when you pick first, second, third? You get a guy like Dylan Cruz or Paul Skeens. So I don't want to hear about trying to win games in September. But because of this new stupid rule and this new stupid system that penalizes teams rebuilding the way that they want to, they, if they catch the Pirates and the Mets, would be one, two, three, let's see. Rockies, Cardinals, Pirates, Mets could be behind them. So that is uh, one, two, four teams. Then over in the American League, the A's, who are horrendous, by the way, the Royals, who are pretty hot, and the White Sox and Tigers are all in reach. So, yeah, they could potentially be essentially like the ninth worst record anyway. And then it would feel okay if they're picking 10th overall because they're basically, you know, 10 teams from the bottom in baseball. Had they have lost 111 games or something and picked 10th, it would have felt criminal and I would have been livid. But to your point, I'm rooting for wins every time out. I want to catch the teams in front of you. I want some of these young guys, Abrams, Gore, Gray, 
Ruiz, the guys that matter moving forward to experience winning. Like they are learning how to win in front of our eyes. They're finishing games. They're stringing series together. It's not easy to go sweep a team when you've won a couple in a row in their ballpark and, and they're coming at you for a third game now to try to avoid a sweep. This is all stuff that could benefit them, I think, in the future, Toby. And you're right. It is kind of a relief. I'm glad you brought that up that we don't have to worry about it affecting their draft position because they were already going to be screwed into picking outside of the top 10 anyway. Yeah. And I like the fact that you have a team that means something to this team so close, you know, if they were fighting with just the Cardinals or just the pirates, that's cool to beat those teams, but whatever, right? I mean, you face them in the national league, but they're not in your division. I mean, Davey Martinez can walk into the clubhouse every day and say, Hey guys, look at the Mets. Let's catch them. And it means something. It's a division opponent. It's a team that spent a lot of money this offseason and is struggling. It gives you something to fight for. And, you know, Davey does a good job of motivating this team, but I think you get that little extra motivation when you can rub it in the Mets' face for the next couple of years if you can finish with a better record than them. Yeah, over the last couple of weeks, just as they've gone 11-5 and five here so that everybody knows who's hot and who's not, uh, Manessa's hitting almost 300 with an 888 OPS, three homers, 10 RBI. He obviously had a big multi-run homer to tie the game late on the road. Uh, Lane Thomas, three homers and a team-high 11 RBI during that stretch. The OPS, the average, are not high, but that's just because he was not hitting for the first half or so of the last 13 games they've played over two weeks. Uh, he's really gotten it going. Abrams hitting over 280. And uh, Riley Adams, who has not played a ton, but has played in four games, six for 15 and 1138 OPS. Uh, good to see that he has stayed hot. You know who's provided a spark too? Four straight games with a run batted in for Jake Alou. It's been kind of cool to see that. He's driven in five now in these four games, uh, 14 at bats for him, 829 OPS. Alou is... I've talked about him a lot as a guy that is not a particularly high-end prospect. I don't expect him to be a starter in the future. Uh, you know, I, I use this term as a big, fat, gross person, not literally, but in a baseball sense, like a bad-bodied kind of smaller, a little bit of a, you know, a, a uh, like he's not muscular or anything like that. But at 26 years old, as a you know semi-positionless infielder, he can play third, he can play second. I think there's a possible future here where he ends up a utility option for them. The cool thing about him, you know, Nats folks really like him. The, the front office people I talk to call him a baseball rat, and they think he's just going to always be a guy that you get, you know, max out of whatever you think he is. Add a little bit to that. That's what he's going to be, kind of that Darren Baker profile from their system. Uh, this year in the minors in two levels, double and triple A, hit 293. Last year, hit 299. He's a career 290 hitter with about an 800 OPS. And we said it'll be interesting to see him get called up and, and see what he does after his first 14 at-bats before getting sent down. And so far, so good. I mean, he he hits at every single level, and now he's trying to add the major leagues to that. Yeah, I mean, it seems like he has added a little spark plug. In every single game, you know, we talk about all the big things like CJ and Lane Thomas going deep, and then Jake Alou adds in another run. It's just kind of those quiet things that he's done. One thing I will say, they ended up postponing the game on Monday when we're recording this, but he wasn't in the lineup that was initially released. Davey, please don't do that. Leave him in the lineup every single day unless he needs a day off. I don't care if he's playing second. I don't play it, care if he's playing third. I mean, with Luis Garcia being in the minors right now, I don't need to see Michael Chavis. I don't need to see Ildemaro Vargas. I want to see Jake Alou as much as possible. So, you know, I'd like to see him continue to get at-bats and see what you got. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and scream online loudly. I just don't think anything really matters with this team that much other than a handful <laughs> of guys. To be honest, it's not that I'm not invested or passionate. I'm watching every pitch. I'm all in. I'm living and dying with the results. But in other words, there's like a handful of guys that really matter a lot, I think moving forward. So unless it involves them and that's Abrams and Gore and Gray and Ruiz, and you guys know the list, I'm not going to get overly angry, but to your point, come on, Davey, figure this out. Uh, get, get on board here. Okay. I mean, it's, it's August 7th. Ildemaro Vargas is Ildemaro Vargas and Michael Chavis is Michael Chavis. Now, if the guys played 15 days in a row and his groin's barking, I get it. Okay. No problem. But in, unless he came to you and said he's banged up, He's been in the big leagues for three hours. It's okay if, if he you string some at-bats together here and you continue to get him some work. Uh, we could talk about Luis Garcia in just a second. Uh, speaking of guys who got called up, though, 
about when Alou did. Uh, Blake Rutherford's first seven at-bats, it hasn't gone that well. 0 for 7 with four strikeouts. It's very early. I'm not making any uh, major decisions or, or, you know, deciding anything big picture on him. But, uh, you know, if, if you were looking for that storybook first few games where he gets bumped up and, and has a big hit and, you know, his family's there after many, many years, I think dating back to like maybe six, seven seasons in the minors now as a 26-year-old drafted in the first round and in his first game he has the big moment, it didn't happen. Uh, now we're, we're still waiting for him to kind of flash. Yeah, I mean, he, he's hit all year long. So I think you just got to get him the at-bats. It's seven in, so we'll see. But like I mentioned on the last podcast, I like the fact that they're going to try to put him in good spots where he's facing almost exclusively right-handed pitchers being a left-handed batter where, where he's going to platoon with Stone Garrett. So I like that they're going to try to put him in the best spots possible, and I'm sure at some point he's going to get that first career major league hit, and I think he'll get it going like he has on the minors all year long. All right, anything else <coughs> Excuse me. we need to hit at the major league level? Maybe just a quick acknowledgement, as I mentioned, about the bullpen, uh, you know, how good they've been. I mean, Kyle Finnegan uh, has been dynamite. Eight games over this stretch here in the last two weeks without giving up a run. Seven punchies in seven innings with a 130 average against. More surprising maybe is Machado, who's got nine Ks and six and two-thirds. Weems called up from the minors, eight games pitched in the last two weeks. He's got eight shutout with 10 strikeouts and a 200 average against. So those three guys have all shoved. Ferrer's been fine. Uh, he's been hit a little bit, but the ERA is in the fours. Um, pretty much that that's the list. Joe LaSorsa doesn't throw very often, but it's been good when they used him. Uh, but I, I just think that Finnegan is, is really putting together a stretch here uh, that is a long time coming. They've, really supported him and thought highly of him for a long time. And this is the best he's ever been as he's approaching 50 games. Now he's striking out about a batter per inning. His average against last year was 220. This year it's 230. His whip was 1.14. He's repeating that. And he's got the lowest DRA of his career at this point. Yeah. I mean, Kyle Finnegan, I've talked about this before with the bullpen where I kind of think that none of these guys can necessarily help you going forward. Talking about this, you know, at the trade deadline, I was saying, I don't know that I see these guys being set up guys or closers on a competitive ball club. I don't know, man, what I've seen at Kyle Finnegan the last couple of months. So looking at his uh, ERA from month to month, April and March, a 720, May, a three, June, 0.79, July, 1.54, and August hasn't given up a run. These last three months, this guy looks like a guy that could really help you out on a winning ball club. So, I mean, just continue to hope that he can show some consistency and, you know, maybe you get Hunter Harvey back and he can kind of build off that as well. So we'll see. But Kyle Finnegan is really looking like a guy that maybe, you know, long term, he can be something for this ball club out of the bullpen. You know what I do want to talk about? Maybe next pod, we should put a pin in this and remember to come back to it. But I want to talk about Rizzo and Davey in the future, because this rebuild's gone so well for Mike Rizzo. I have a hard time believing he wouldn't be around if he wants to be. Now, he might mm -hmm. want to get on the first plane out of here because they don't spend money and he's kind of over it, and maybe he's got another better option. I know a few years ago, I believe he had a chance to go to the L.A. Angels and at that time was still very interested in being in Washington with the Nationals. But that was you know, a near sale and uh, several off-seasons of your team not spending at all ago. So I'm not sure how he feels at this point, but... Uh, I, I'm more interested maybe in, in the Davy part of it where I don't know that you can do better than Mike Rizzo on the open market, bringing in a GM in the middle of a sale with an, an owner that doesn't sell. I think Rizzo's really good. Big picture. I, I'm not sure if they want to go in a different direction than Davy, and maybe those two guys are just linked where Rizzo would ride with Davy. But I, in other words, I, I view Rizzo as really, really good at what he does. I think Davy is pretty average at what he does. That said, Davy has done a hell of a job this year. I mean, this team, as you said, plays really hard for him. Shades of kind of that 2019 group that really bought into everything that he preached. They don't win the World Series without him in 19. So I'm not knocking Davey. I think Davey, uh, he hung a banner. I mean, he, he was outstanding in that World Series run. That flag will fly forever. He deserves an immense amount of credit. I, I just think, you know, from a big picture standpoint, if you're asking me who's better at their job, Rizzo as a GM or Davey as a manager, I would say Rizzo. 
Um, but I don't know if they're linked together or, I mean, you have a quick thought on that. And it is something, again, I want to get into in more detail in the future. Yeah, with Rizzo, I don't think there's any way you could, if you're trying to run a ball club effectively, that you could move on from Mike Rizzo. I think that he's shown you so much in his ability to trade. Now, maybe some of his, his drafts have left a little bit to, to be desired, so maybe there. But I think that Rizzo is a fantastic general manager. In terms of Davey Martinez, he's such a great guy, and I think he does such a good job with the clubhouse. It's kind of hard to move on when all the guys are going to be so attached to him. But, I mean, Grant, the hard part is how many times do we come on here or we're talking off air or texting? Why is Davey doing this? And it's not even necessarily this year. It's just in his time as manager, there are so many times where his in-game managerial decisions are so questionable. It's so hard. But at the same point, like, Davey's such a likable guy and the guys all love playing for him. And he's done such a fantastic job with – motivating the guys and helping develop them this year you know it's a it's a catch-22 yeah i mean if you take a few months and 19 away the results have just not been good i mean they, they just are what they are uh from you know 50 games into the end of the 19 season take that out of the equation it's, it's pretty awful now that's not fair either i'll readily admit because that's mm -hmm. his best part of his his career and you can't just say well take the the two best games this quarterback's ever had away and he, he doesn't have as good a career. Well, no kidding. So uh, it's a larger conversation, as I said. I just wanted to kind of bring it up and say it's something I want to address on the pod here in the future, and, and maybe you guys uh, can get with us on Twitter. I'm at Grant H. Paulson. Toby, give out your Twitter handle. At Toby underscore Altizer, T-O-B-I underscore A-L-T-I-Z-E-R. And we can try to uh, kind of create and start that conversation there, and we'll carry it over uh, this week into the next pod eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Long gone. All right. You mentioned the minor leagues and the prospects. So your boys went on a field trip. Why don't we start with that? We should tag in producer Darris here. He should join the fracas because he actually rode down 95 uh, in the car with me and my two little kids to go to the Fred Nats game uh, to go see Dylan Cruz's debut. And I got to tell you, we had ourselves a good time. Toby made it out and you were on air. Uh, you had to drive uh, separate, so we didn't get to carpool. You didn't get to sit in between the car seats uh, and, <laughs> and hang out with my kids. But uh, you had not been to the Fred Nats ballpark, the A-Ball affiliate, which is gorgeous there in Central Park in Fredericksburg, Virginia. What would you think? It's a fantastic ballpark, man. It was so much fun to watch the game, and it's an enjoyable atmosphere. So I haven't been a guy that's gone to tons of minor league games. So I've been to plenty of major league games, but – I think maybe only a handful, maybe six or seven now that I've gone to a couple this season, but I haven't been to a whole lot of minor league ballparks, but I mean, just from the couple I've been to and just knowing what the general idea is for a minor, minor league ballpark, there's not many better than what you're going to get in Fredericksburg. Like that place is fantastic to watch a game and it was awesome to get down there and see Dylan Cruz and the boys and a little bit disappointing. We went down there on Saturday, Grant, and saw an 0 for 5, which 
I'm going to blame you for considering he came up with two at bats late in the game and you decided that you don't believe in jinxes and you said that he hasn't had a game where he didn't get on base this year, this calendar year. And what do you know? He doesn't get on base, but it was fantastic to get down there with the guys and watch that game. And I tell you what, one thing, Grant, before we get into some more Dylan Cruz, one guy that stands out to me, he won minor league player of the week uh, in the Carolina league. I think he deserves some credit for that. Andrew Pinckney looks like a guy that maybe they can, you know, they we've heard nationals people get pretty excited about this guy. Maybe they found a little bit of something there. Yeah, I want to get into him. We could talk about Yo-Yo Morales and, and, and some of the other things uh, that happened in the minor league. Stray Lipscomb's just on a freaking tear right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll get into all that in a second. But, but let's stick with Cruz for a moment. So first of all, I did not jinx him, as Toby knows. And everybody knows. <laughs> Jinxes are not real, okay? I do not affect the ball game as I am sitting in the stands as a portly fella eating some ice cream with my cheering. All right? I do not affect the ball game. Everybody knows it. If there's a no-hitter going on, we should all scream. There's a no hitter going on. There's a perfect game. You should pick up the phone and call someone and say, there's a perfect game intact because you can't affect the game. Everybody knows that. Uh, I kid. All right. But yes, you're right. I did say, hey, he has never gotten through a game since the start of the baseball season in February without getting on base. And then he lined out on a rocket to the first baseman. And then when I said it again, his final time in the 10th inning, he struck out kind of swinging from his shoes. So he was 0 for 5 when we were there. We picked the wrong one to go to. We went to the debut, of course, the next day. And we called this, by the way. We were sitting there, and I said, (laughs) you know he's going to hit a bolt in his first at bat tomorrow. Mm -hmm. We all kind of chuckled. We're like, ah, probably. Sure enough, first A-B on Sunday afternoon, hits a ball out to the farthest part of the park, gorgeous swing, 105 miles per hour off the bat, 414 feet. Just crushed it. He ended up going over for the rest of the game. I did make some loud contact on Sunday as well. So he's one for 10. He could easily be four for 10, five for 10, you know, based on the process and well, the contact. And, and real quick, Grant, we got robbed of the perfect situation for a debut for a draft pick like Dylan Cruz. So ninth inning rolls around. We know Dylan Cruz is going to get an at bat in the ninth because he's leading off the ninth inning. They're down seven to nothing, so we assume his first at bat in the ninth inning is the last one. So he ends up getting out. Okay, he's going to end the night 0 for four. Bunch of things happen. They're throwing the ball around. The Red Sox affiliate is they can't get anyone out. They're walking dudes. It's seven to three. Bases are loaded. Two outs, and I believe it was Armando Cruz. It's a grand slam to tie the game seven to seven. So he's the eight-hole hitter. Dylan Cruz is batting second. Nine-hole hitter gets up. He hits a single. He takes off on the second pitch of the at-bat. Pinckney gets a single into center field. The center fielder overruns it slightly. It's probably the right send, like we've talked about off-air, to send the guy around third, the, yeah, the nine-hole hitter. the fastest player, too. Why? He sends him and gets thrown out at the plate. But we were robbed, Grant, of a first and third, two outs, bottom of the ninth, game tied. Yeah. Dylan Cruz at bat. Well, I was just screaming, and I, I wish I remembered the who the third base coach was. I, I probably will, you know, look it up and be like, "Oh yeah, it's that guy." But uh, but I was like, "Come on, have a little feel for the moment here." There's 5,600 people here tonight. But by the way, none of them have gone home because they all thought Cruz was going to hit again mm-hmm. in the ninth inning. And, and lo and behold, they're down seven nothing going to the ninth. Normally, there's no one left at the ballpark, but everyone came to see Cruz. He hasn't gotten a hit. He's batting again in the inning. So everyone stayed. And then they go on this rally, as you said, and they tie the game at 7-7. to Craziest comeback I've ever seen in my life in person. The only one better I can remember watching on TV in organizational history was the the comeback against the Mets. Was that like Mm -hmm. nine runs or whatever that was? Insanity. I remember watching on Masson when they were down 9-3, or I don't remember the exact specifics uh, with the Kurt Suzuki bomb. But this was – it felt like that. It was so crazy. It was one of the – Quite literally, it was the best comeback I've ever seen in person. Like, how many times have you been at a game, going into the ninth inning, it's 7 nothing or whatever, and you're like, oh, here comes the seven-run comeback. And it wasn't even like homers and doubles. It was like errors and a couple of walks and some bloop shots, and now they're in slam range. And as you said, a 160-pound infielder who had homered twice all year <laughs> barrels a ball, just drops the head on it, and kills it over the outfield fence. For a grand slam. Unbelievable. But to your point 
on the next, you know, they, they get the rally going, and, and as they continue uh, on the next sequence, they hit the ball, and you got a chance to have Dylan Cruz at the plate to win the game, and sure enough, uh, they get thrown out. Dylan Cruz has to lead off the next inning. But going back through his outing, at bat number one, ground out to third. His first pitch he saw as a pro, he was first pitch swinging. And remember, Tobes, he was three for three mm-hmm. with three hits on three pitches in the complex league. So he didn't take a pitch in that game. He went three for three on three pitches with three hits. Boom, boom, boom. So his first pitch of his fourth at bat as a pro, his first game in Fredericksburg, first pitch swinging with a runner at first to lead off the game. And he grounds into a double play. Now he hit it really hard and it was kind of hugged down the line and it was a nice play around the, the, the way, but he fell on his face running to first. Like you, you can't make this up for Dylan Cruz. Not only is your first pitch there with 5,500 people who came to see you a ground ball, double play, which is tough, but He's tough to double up. He's got speed. He literally coming out of the box was trying to go a million miles an hour to beat it out, and he falls on his face. It was just crazy. So that's how his career started. We're only going up from here. Uh, at bat two was a he crushed the ball to center field on the screws for a flyout. At bat three was just a routine slow ground ball to the shortstop. At bat four was a line out on a rocket to the first baseman. He almost uh, had a guy doubled up in that uh, ninth inning rally because of how hard he hit it. And then at-bat five was the swinging strikeout uh, in the 10th inning that I had mentioned. So we saw him go 0 for 5, and we missed the home run the next day. And while you blame me for the jinx, I blame <laughs> Darius Dameron, who is back with us. We have located Darius. I was trying to bring you in because you made the road trip down 95 with me and the kids, Darius. I, I apologize. I stepped away to, to, to use the restroom. I come back to uh, just uh, asking where I was. I, I, I apologize. But but yeah, we made the trip to Fredericksburg. I rode out to uh, to your house and then jumped in the uh, jumped in the, the Paulson mobile with you and the, the kids and Ryan. Ryan sat in the middle seat okay. uh, to tend to the kids. They were asking lots of questions. They were excited. They couldn't wait to see Gus. Their guy is I, Gus, I mean, man. Their, excitement had me, Gus. their excitement for Gus had me excited to meet Gus because it's my first time meeting him. So, uh, it, I mean, the trip was a blast, first of all. The ballpark was incredible. Yeah, we were talking about I've it. What do you think? I think it's as good an A-ball ballpark as you're going to find. Yeah, I've only I've only been to a few. Um, I've I've been to the Frederick Keys Park uh, back when they existed. I don't think oh, Harry Grove can't anymore, touch it. Believe, Harry right? Grove can't touch it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I've been there. I've been to Bowie Bay Sox Stadium. I live uh, about ten minutes away from there. Uh, that park was miniature Mat- Nats Park, and it was really really cool. Really cool scene. Um, it was really cool to see how the fans packed it out as well. Um, but yeah, the, the the trip was awesome. Yes, it was an zero for five. I I walked away. Not, you know, I, I wasn't thrilled. I mean, I, I wanted to see more, but I was whelmed. He hit the ball hard a couple times. I love his aggressiveness in the strike zone as well. So that was good to see. But the next day, we got what we wanted, yeah, right? You I mean, got exactly what you wanted. Exactly. I mean, and, and, and by the way, there were 50, I, th- I think I said 5,600, I think was the number. The number two attended game in Fredericksburg's ballpark in history. It's the third year there. They had a Strasburg rehab a couple years ago. They got 58, I think it was, someone told me. So they basically were within a couple hundred seats. And this was as of an hour before the game. So for all I know, based on walk-ups, they might have surpassed it. But number two at the time, all time in that ballpark. So people were giddy to see Dylan Cruz. I wore my LSU uh, t-shirt. And everyone was like, there were so many people there wearing (laughs) LSU gear. And I was just walking around going, go Tigers, go Tigers, go Tigers. So it it was a good time. Uh, And I ate some ice cream. And real quick, to wrap up my comments about Cruz getting robbed of that opportunity at the end, he goes from having the opportunity to do that and be a guy that can walk it off in his debut to being down four after they gave up a grand slam in the 10th. So I don't even blame him for striking out in the 10th. He's like, I had the opportunity to be the hero in my debut. Instead, I'm a guy that's just like leading off an inning that we all know you're going to lose anyway. So, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, like you said, the next day, was the epitome of you hang it, we bang it. And he just got on top of that ball and drove it. What was it, like 105 off the bat, 416, dead center. There was a guy that put a video up on on Twitter or, or X, I guess, of him watching it in the outfield, and you could just see that it was just a rocket, a laser out the center field. So we're going to see a lot of cruise missiles in the next couple of years. I'm excited about it. Yeah, it's going to be fun. He also stole a base in his next at bat. 
uh, when he got aboard as well, um, right after it in the home run. So showed off some of the tools. And, and I mean, despite, you know, of course we were all there to see Dylan Cruz, but we got to see the other draft picks as well. And I thought that was really cool, especially seeing a guy like uh, Yohandi Morales firing that cannon across the, across the diamond from third to first uh, multiple times throughout the game. Uh, Marcus Brown, uh, who else did we, uh, of course, Andrew Pinkney. I, I thought it was a, Awesome just to be able to see a lot of our very most recent draft picks show off some of their skills right in front of us. Dang, zoom. Yeah, so Toby, you mentioned you want to get into those guys, so that's a good transition and a good point by Darius. So let's start with Morales. He made two spectacular defensive plays. Mm-hmm. The first was kind of a, a lunging, diving, Zimmerman-esque, like going toward the line, hopping up, making the long throw. Beautiful play by the giant third baseman, and it'll take you back how big he is, 6'4", 225. He has the look more of like a, you know, corner outfielder or a first baseman, but he obviously moves really well and can play the third base spot. And then we saw later in the game, there was a rocket hit at him on a hop and he made a really nice play to stab it. And in one motion kind of moves forward. There was a guy at third coming back to the bag because he knew he'd be thrown out if he went home. And as he's coming back to the bag, Yo-Yo Morales reaches out with the glove and literally just like, slaps him across the head with the glove as he's coming back to the bag. And then almost like an Under Armour, like, a, uh, you know, Chad Bradford from the Rays back in the day, just kind of flips the ball all the way across the infield with some juice. He made two really nice defensive plays, uh, swung the bat, had a good at bat, had drew a walk in that seven-run ninth inning as well. He's nine for his first 27 as a pro. He's really hit well in Fredericksburg. Driven in seven runs. He's already got a couple of doubles. I think he's got three doubles and a triple in eight games as a pro. So he's slugging high. The OPS to start in a very small sample is 940. But, you know, the question's going to be swing and miss. Can he make contact? Is he going to get the ball uh, barreled? Is he going to avoid striking out? Because if he is, he's going to be a pretty good baseball player. He's going to hit for a ton of power. And I I don't take a lot out of results through eight games. But, like, one of two things could happen. Either he's going to be swinging and missing and striking out, or he's not. And we've said a few times, like, the SEC level is at the very minimum on par with Fredericksburg. I would say it's better than that. It's probably more on par with, like, Wilmington at A+. He's not in the SEC, though. He was an ACC guy at Miami. Not quite the same level of competition as what Gavin Dugas or um, Dylan Cruz or even Andrew Pinckney at Alabama maybe faced. And so he's handled his own really well. I'm fired up to see it. Yeah, I mean, I think we didn't get a chance to really see him show off his skills at the plate. But like you said, with the glove there on Saturday, very obvious that he could play third base if you need him to. He can stick over there. We'll see, you know, him and Brady House now being the top third baseman in the organization. But just the spectacular plays to get over there deep in the hole into the foul territory, almost Arenado-esque going over there, getting a ball and then ripping it across the diamond. And you mentioned that double play. Those are the sorts of plays that you can't really teach, you know, come up, feel the ball, tag the guy, throw it across the diamond, those sort of things, fun to watch. And like you said, his size is very noticeable. He's not your average corner infielder. Like seeing him, you immediately think of a corner outfield spot for a guy that hits for a lot of power and probably doesn't move real well. But for his size, he can get around. So I'm interested to see how exactly he develops. But, I mean, it's pretty obvious we didn't get to see the bat do it too 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 much. But, I mean, you can just tell by his size. That dude's got a lot of pop. Yeah, and that's why he was supposed to have gone in the first round. Remember, it's not like he's some random guy no one had heard of going into the draft. I mean, just to give you a comp, like, uh, or not a comp, but, you know, my own um, anecdote. When I was prepping for our first round draft coverage on MLB Network Radio, he was ranked number 20 overall in the top 100 and eventually the top 250 that MLB Pipeline put out. And so when I was doing my hitters, he was like the fifth guy that I put together a a preview for expecting somewhere in the middle of the first round that I would have to go to my notes and pull them up and talk about yo-yo. And it ended up that he didn't get picked till 40 when the Nats were on the clock with their second selection. And I think a lot of people were stunned that he was there. He's got good bloodlines, his son of a former Cuban national team member, Andy Morales, who actually played in the Yankees and Red Sox systems. Um, he was, you know, it's a long track record of a success where he was one of the better players in high school at Florida, uh, as a prep player, a couple of years with team USA early on in his high school career, and then big time numbers at Miami. But there is some concern, I suppose, about the swing and the swing and miss, uh, which maybe hindered him. 
Uh, Let's talk Andrew Pinckney then, who is the 22-year-old from Alabama. Uh, He's really interesting. So he was not nearly as regarded a prospect. He was ranked 216 in that same top 250 from Pipeline, where Morales was 20. Pinckney is very athletic and toolsy, though. He looks the part, doesn't he? 6'3", 215. Mm -hmm. He ended up going 102 overall in the fourth round by the Nats. I think maybe a little early than people may have expected. But they really liked him and, and were high on some of the tools. Uh, and, and he's got kind of the traits to me that make him look like a top three or four round guy. Um, helped himself a lot, I think, with how he performed against some top competition this year. He had a game against Paul Skeens in April where he went three for three with a home run. And I think that can be pretty telling if the right person's there. I'm not sure if the Nats had people at the game beyond you know what they normally would have at an LSU game. But I think that probably helped him. But the right-handed swing, is it's its electric, it's fast, he's got quick wrists, uh, he's speedy, 43 steals and 49 uh, attempts in, in college. Uh, and he was just named the Carolina League Player of the Week today because he went 10 for 20 at the plate in Fredericksburg this week. He's actually 12 for his first 24 offensively in the minor leagues. That is, I'm not good at math, a 500 average with four doubles. And in the same game that... Dylan Cruz hit his first home run we've been talking about on Sunday. Pinckney did as well. So he's now got two steals with 12 hits in his first handful of games, hitting 500 as a pro. And again, we talked about the SEC getting you ready for a ball. I mean, you are beyond prepared, but this has been an incredible first week and a half. He's making some noise. Yeah, and we'll see what, you know, when he gets moved up and see how he does when he faces some more elite pitching. But, you know, I think this just shows that, with the SEC preparing you, I think, like you said, it's maybe more on par with an A-plus ball. He's obviously tearing it up in A-ball, but like you said, too, he looks the part. When he stands next to Dylan Cruz, I mentioned this to Ryan when you know they're playing the National Anthem and all the outfielders were standing next to each other. He's well over Dylan Cruz. Like He's much taller. He's much bigger. Not to say that Dylan Cruz is small, but Andrew Pinckney's a big guy, and so he's got a little bit of everything, and who knows what exactly he can become, but just early returns and watching him in Fredericksburg puts together good at bats. Doesn't try to do too much. He's obviously got a Homer swing like you saw on Sunday, but in the game we saw on Saturday, just line drives up the middle, taking the pitches where they're pitched. And I really like, you know, what he's shown so far, obviously, how can you not a guy hitting 500? So we'll see. I mean, I think that he's got the tools. I don't know that his ceilings all that high because, you know, this is a guy that wasn't the most highly regarded, but I think that he's got everything you need to maybe be a, a utility guy in the outfield, a fourth outfield type. But, I mean, early returns show you that this guy could be something for this organization going forward. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about another guy that got some accolades in the uh, minors for the Nats this past week. And that would be Trey Lipscomb, who was on uh, the MLB Pipeline hot sheet. Now you can put him. The question is, what position do you put him at? Because he's played everywhere this past I week love and a half. Even played shortstop, right? And I don't mean where do the Nats play him as much as where do you put him on the hot sheet? But he's traditionally a third baseman. He's played short, second, and first year recently at the Double A level. You're right. I love that versatility. But Trey Lipscomb, who was a third round pick last year, kind of similar to the fourth rounder Pinkney we were just talking about, out of the SEC at Tennessee. He's a year older. He's 23 years old. 6'2", I mean, he has really hit the ball since being drafted in this organization. But he's been bumped up here 10 games now at A. He's got hits in eight of them. And, in fact, I was just looking this up. In his last nine games, he's got double-digit hits seven times. Uh, not double-digit. That would be impressive. As Kenny Main would say, that would be a record. Uh, he's got multiple hits is what I meant to say. Two or more hits in seven of those nine games. So just r- rapid fire. Two for five, two for five, oh for three, two for four, four for five. 3 for 4, 4 for 5, 0 for 4, 3 for 5. So in his last five games, he has 4, 3, 4, and 3 hits. Four of those five games, at least three hits at double A, just having gotten there. That's nuts. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy that's a call away from the majors and is doing this sort of stuff. I mean, this isn't like he's doing this down in A-ball. As much as we want to get fired up for Pinkney, he's still in A-ball. He's not going to get called up anytime soon. And I don't know what the timeline would be for a guy like Lipscomb, but keep doing this and you'll find yourself up there. It's been impressive seeing him do what he's done since he's gotten up to double A. And, you know, we talk about him a little bit. We talk about Dalen Lyle, but these are kind of guys that just 
they don't get talked about a whole lot when we talk about these other prospects because of how much you know the hype is around those other guys. But Lipscomb has just been fantastic this season. Every single level he's gone to, he's hit, and now you're seeing it at a the level that probably you, you expected the little bit of challenge, and he hasn't been challenged at all. Like you mentioned, a couple four hit games in there. It's been fantastic to see what he can do, and hopefully he can continue doing it because I think the Nationals could use a guy that can play all four infield positions. It's, I mean, it, his thing might be, you know, we'll see about what happens with Luis Garcia, him being a right-handed bat. Maybe they could look there. There's no clear first base prospect in the organization, and if he can play first base, he could find himself a spot pretty quickly. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. I mean, look, in a best case scenario if everything were to work out perfectly you know maybe morales kicks over and can play first and lipscomb plays second in the event that garcia doesn't figure it out if garcia ends up being a really good second baseman you know maybe you could move uh lipscomb to you know a corner outfield or have him play all over the place and get regular at bats and have him DH some if need be. I mean, they'll figure it out. The fact is all these guys aren't going to end up being major leaguers, let alone really good ones. So mm-hmm. we could sit here and say house at third, Abrams at short, you know, Garcia at second. We'll see. Uh, a couple of them are going to end up being good major leaguers. A couple of them may never even get there. And a couple of them will get there and disappoint, you know, based on the numbers. But you, you just love the, the quiet progress of some of the guys in this system. You know, Lipscomb last year hit 300 with a 719 ops in 23 games at Fredericksburg after getting drafted. This year he started at A plus ball and was okay, didn't really light it up. And then they moved him to double A and he's been unbelievable. This is why I always say, by the way, I've had some people hit me up um, on Twitter and ask me, like, why do you want that guy moved out of Wilmington? He's not killing the ball or he's not dominating. And my point is, like, how difficult an affiliate is for a hitter matters too. I don't want their hitters being in Wilmington that long. You know, he hit 250 and, and had an OPS uh, in the mid 700s at Wilmington. Like that, I'm impressed enough by that, right? That that's fine. Show me that you can handle the everyday element of making adjustments and figure some things out, and let's keep it moving. Now in Double A, a more hitter friendly uh, home ballpark and league, 333 average, 860 ops in 46 games. Uh, he's going to strike out like that's definitely a thing. He's got 76 strikeouts this year and just 20 walks. But if more power comes instead of just being a doubles guy and it becomes, you know, 20 to 24 homers or something, I think he's probably 50 hit 50 power guy. But if he could hit 20 home runs annually and hit for a little bit of average, you got yourself a really good ball player and a huge steal in the third round. And, and that's, I think what you're looking for after years of talking about, the draft and how much the Nats have struggled and how they're the worst team in baseball by far statistically at developing bats over the last several years. Now, all of a sudden you look at it and you go, okay, well maybe lips can become something. A Brady house looks like he's on his way. Uh, perhaps, you know, Dylan Cruz is going to be a stud, but perhaps you got another guy, whether it's Morales or Pinckney in that draft as well. So you, you can hope a little bit. On well, that. and it just takes a couple of guys to change that whole narrative. You know, you have a couple guys come up and tear the cover off the ball once they get to the majors. All of a sudden, your stats look better in that, you know, piece that Baseball America put together. The Nationals right. haven't had any guys do that. So, obviously, all their stats look terrible. But, you know, seeing multiple guys, Grant, now that you can talk about this, you're going through, and we've talked about four and five and six guys in the majors that are having good weeks, having good seasons overall. That's something that hasn't been the case for the Nationals, so things are trending up. Uh, Real quick, I did want to update on Luis Garcia. We talked about the demotion on the last pod. The 23-year-old left-handed hitting second baseman is at AAA Rochester. He is six for his first 18 in the minor league, so hitting a cool 333 this week after being sent down four singles and a couple of doubles, so you want him to do some damage and drive the baseball. But uh, you said this, and it kind of made me chuckle because it's so true. Like, he's always hit in the minors. I mean, it's never really been an issue. So I I don't know, you know, if the results are the most important thing to look at or the things that we're not going to be able to track, which is whatever was annoying them about his process needs to improve, and and we'll see when they deem that that is the case. Uh, Final thoughts for you, Toby, before we get out of here. Yeah, I mean, just it's an encouraging sign to see the big league ball club playing so well. And then to look down on the farm and guys are producing there all around. So, 
you know, just looking at the Nationals coming into this season, there were a lot of question marks about the future, and it needed to be C.J. Abrams answering the bell, Mackenzie Gore, Josiah Gray, the guys in the minors. And so far, in terms of all that, the Nats are batting well over 500, and these guys improving. Really, you can only think of maybe one or two guys that have disappointed overall. I think of, you know, maybe you'd like to see a little more out of Kaber. Maybe you would have liked to have seen Robert Hassel take the next step. But overall, I mean, Woods up, House is up, Dylan Cruz is a part of the organization. A lot of things to be happy about if you're a Nationals fan. We got a couple of comments that I do want to read on the next pod, but... If you want to get your shout-out, if you want to be one of the comments we're reading, you can drop a question there as well, and we'll answer it for you. We will be doing that later this week on Bustin' Loose Baseball. For producer Darius, who you heard from earlier in this podcast, and Toby Altizer, I'm Grant Paulson saying so long and thanks very much. Until we speak again this week, enjoy Nats baseball.